Hey everyone, this is Lucas Banyo, an investor at Village Global, and I'm here with my co-host Ian Cinnamon. Welcome to SolarPunk. In this podcast, we cover topics related to space and defense and discuss how technology can contribute to a better and safer world. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Village Global SolarPunk. Today, we have a very special episode. As you know, Ian Cinnamon has been my co-host ever since we started the podcast. Well, Ian will remain my co-host, but today we have some big news. Ian is off to start his new company called Apex Space. Village is proud to have led the pre-seed round of the company, but today we're announcing the launch of Apex and also the seed round co-led by Catherine Boyle at A6&Z and Ross Fubini at XYZ Capital, with great participation from some amazing folks such as Lux Capital and a couple of others. Now, just a couple of intros and we'll head on to the show. Ian Cinnamon is the CEO and co-founder of Apex, the world's first satellite manufacturing company. Ian incubated Apex during his time as an investor in EIR at Village Global, which backed his previous startup, Synapse Technology. Ian previously sold Synapse, the artificial intelligence, security, and defense company he founded, to Palantir. And Max Benassi is Ian's CTO and co-founder at Apex. Max has focused his career on the design and skilled manufacturing of aerospace components. Most recently, as Director of Engineering at Astra, Max worked on satellites and their components, scaling production, design for manufacturing, and factory design. Previously, Max spent over six years as senior engineer at SpaceX, where he led the mass production strategy for the most challenging Raptor components. And now, onto the show. We have some very exciting news to share today. My co-host that started the podcast with me, uh, SolarPunk, uh, Ian Cinnamon, is off to his new company that we're going to be talking about today with his co-founder, Max, uh, here on the show. So uh, Ian, Max, uh, excited for this conversation. Maybe to get us started, tell us what Apex Space is. Absolutely. Lucas, it's uh, so much fun to be here and uh, a lot of fun to be on the other side of the table for once. Uh, and feel very lucky to be here uh, with my amazing co-founder, Max Benassi, as well. Um, so to take a step back for a second, in the simplest sense, Apex is a spacecraft manufacturing company. We build spacecraft. The industry term for what we're actually building is called the satellite bus. So if you think about uh, all these satellites that are uh, above us in space and low Earth orbit and geo and beyond, they're really comprised of two main elements. So the first element is what we call the payload. And that payload is a camera. It might be a communications dish. It might be a robotic arm. It might be a human life support module. There's a bunch of different types of payloads. But all of these payloads require what's called a satellite bus in order for them to be a full satellite. So the satellite bus is the physical structure. It's the solar panels, the propulsion system, the navigation system, et cetera. So a uh, bus plus a payload equals a satellite. So the, the reason that we decided to focus on spacecraft in general is if you look at the overall space industry right now, there have been hundreds of billions of dollars that have been invested into launch companies. And the result of that has been some amazing advancements for the overall space economy. So we have uh, companies that have actually successfully gone to orbit. So we, of course, have SpaceX, we have Astra, we have Rocket Lab, we have Firefly. Um, Max might have happened to work at two of those four, which is incredible. Um, so we, we know we have the right team. 
But because all of those companies have done so well, the cost to actually get to orbit has been drastically reduced. So in the industry, it's typically measured as a dollars per kilogram to reach orbit. That is fundamentally dropping absolutely uh, an incredible amount. And it's actually dropping so much that even recently on the most recent uh, SpaceX rideshare missions where they let multiple satellites hitch a ride on the same rocket, uh, when you go on their website to price it out, they are charging the exact same price for a 150 kilogram spacecraft as they are a 200 kilogram spacecraft. So even though you're adding 50 kilograms of mass, the price is the same. So we're no longer in this world where the mass is directly correlated to the cost of actually getting that spacecraft up. And the result of that is there's all these new businesses that have emerged, right? There's a tremendous number that have popped up because the business cases now make sense, right? They're able to go send their payload up, collect data, offer communications, and then monetize that. And when you look at that equation, it's a great business to have. But overall, the one piece that's missing is really innovation on the satellite bus side. So hundreds of billions have gone into launch, tens of billions have gone into payloads, but almost no venture money, really minimal amounts, has gone into the satellite bus manufacturing side. And to go a step further, I would argue that nobody has actually been manufacturing satellite buses. They've been hand assembled. In fact, uh, Max, maybe you want to speak for a second and just give a little bit of context on uh, what the status quo today is on building a satellite bus. Definitely. So uh, the status quo today of building a satellite bus, uh, the the end user who has their payload will come to a satellite bus manufacturer um, with a very defined set of specs that they want their bus to meet. Um, and that kicks off a very long uh, non-recurring engineering process where that bus has to effectively get designed from the ground up to work specifically uh, to the needs of this given payload. Now that takes a long time just to get to the point where they're ready to start assembling and building it. And when they do assemble and build it, because uh, it's often uh, you know in a, in a one-off or in relatively small volumes, they're built by hand and there isn't the investment going in to making the final product easier to manufacture, easier to build at scale and all the tools that are required to have really fantastic quality at the end of the day. So help me understand a little bit. So why is this such a huge problem for innovation in the space? If if Apex works, like what, what do you guys enable that, that is not possible today? So right now, there's three major pain points with getting a payload up into space and actually uh, running a business that relies on space. So the number one uh, most difficult issue is actually the timeline. And in today's market, if you want to go procure a satellite bus that's made by one of the existing uh, businesses that builds them and assembles them, you're looking at a lead time of anywhere between two to five years to take delivery of that satellite bus, which means that as a commercial business, your lag time before you're able to monetize your asset that's in space is years. That's incredibly long. I mean, Lucas, we were both, you are in the venture world. I used to be in there. If a company came to us and said, I have a great business model in four years, we'll be able to the, to get our first dollar in the door. You look at them and say, I want to see a plan for you to be a public company in five years. Like, I don't get it. Like the, the math doesn't add up. So um, the long lead times are a major issue. The second issue is reliability. Because as Max just uh, described, each of these satellite buses in today's market are really custom made for the payload. 
even though we have this idea of flight heritage and it's flown before, you're really making a new one every single time. And what happens when you make a new thing every single time? There's reliability issues. You got to fix it. So imagine you're a commercial company and you went and you spent um, uh, you know, millions of dollars. You waited four years for your satellite bus. It got delivered. You launch it. And then the thing doesn't work, right? That would be, I mean, like companies have gone out of business because of that. And then finally, it's cost. Um, we're not trying to be uh, the low lowest end of the uh, price point of the market here. We're not trying to compete on cost. We're trying to compete on timeline and quality, and we do want to offer it at a very fair price to our customers. So we're not we're not looking to charge them a crazy amount, but we're also not looking we're not trying to arbitrarily undercut the market that's out there. Awesome. So. Tell tell us a little bit about the the sort of the founding story to this. You know how how did you individually uh, come to 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 founding Apex? Uh, how I kind of landed on this idea was you know I spent my entire career working on aerospace hardware, a lot of it being focused on the launch vehicle side of things and really figuring out how to reduce the overall cost to orbit. Um, and obviously did some really incredible things both at, at SpaceX and Astra on that front. Um, but I also spent a lot of time there thinking about like what the right next steps were. Um, and you know, both of those companies with, with you know had uh, programs um, on the you know on the uh, uh, satellite and spacecraft side of things and and specifically you know at, at SpaceX seeing really the some of the incredible innovations that they were doing on the on the bus side of things with Starlink made me really excited to to get into that space. Um, and as I was starting to look at the overall value stream uh, of getting into orbit and, and having a business in orbit. Like, yes, launch cost was definitely a huge aspect of it, but uh, it was very clear that there was this hardware component, which is a spacecraft bus, which um, had not yet been made uh, very readily available and easy to access. So it was something that I you know, started to uh, think about and had started to work on. Um, and Ian and I had met a few years before, and uh, we were both thinking about the same problem. And eventually we both, you know, we both realized that this was something that we both really need to put all of our efforts into and go solve. So for me, um... I really fell in love with space at a very early age. And I always knew I wanted to do something uh, in the land of space. I have very fond memories growing up as a child, um, going out with my dad to the middle of the, uh, the the desert to launch model rockets. I remember uh, trying to make my own rocket engines in the backyard and almost setting, uh, you know, blowing my hand off. Luckily, I have all 10 fingers still. But uh, at the end of the day, I ended up um, uh, in the beginning of my career focusing in general on technology and not as much on aerospace as I would have liked. And it wasn't until um, I sold the prior company that I founded, Synapse, to Palantir. And at Palantir, they asked us to apply the AI platform that we built to a lot of commercial downstream satellite data. And for me, that was the first moment where I had this eye-opening realization that there were companies that had raised uh, venture amounts of money. So, you know, maybe a seed round or a series A, 10, 15, $20 million, who were able to take that money and build the payload and launch that payload into space and then sell that data to me. And the fact that it wasn't billionaires who were going off and doing this, and it wasn't, you know, uh, government contractors who were going off and doing it, but it were commercial companies who were able to just raise the money to go do this made me incredibly excited and really made me realize how large this new space economy is, especially on the commercial side. And that's one of the reasons Max and I are very focused on the commercial market for Apex. So once I got to 
to start working with a lot of these different providers, um, in conversations with them, I very quickly realized that they were experts at building their payload and selling their data. But when it came to the satellite bus itself, it was a major pain point. They were facing all of the issues that we described earlier, their long lead times, low reliability, uh, very uh, non-transparent pricing. And it really felt like it was time in the market to do something a lot better. I was lucky enough to get to meet Max several years ago, actually. It's a it's a very funny story. Um, his roommate at the time was one of my uh, very good friends from high school, this amazing aerospace recruiter, uh, put us in touch. And we uh, have been talking ever since. Early this year, we came together. And as Max articulated, he saw this problem from the same, from his angle, I saw it from my angle. And we said, we're the team to pull this off. Uh, there's no one better in the world at manufacturing aerospace components at scale than Max. And uh, with my prior knowledge of the industry and the market, we felt like we were uniquely equipped to go ahead and solve this problem. Incredible. So Ian, to, to go deeper on that a little bit. So before Apex, you were in the EIR, EIR here at Village. Uh, I know you explored a lot of different industries. Uh, you were always passionate about space, but you, you didn't go to space right away. Uh, you actually went back, you, you explored, explored a lot of stuff, and then you came back to space. What made you decide and, and found the company to, to found the company in this industry after all? There's a couple elements, and I would say the most important element is whenever I personally set out to do something, and I believe whenever a founder sets out to go start a new company, they really should be thinking about this as the journey that they want to embark on for the next several decades, right? It's not about a five or 10 year journey, it's a 20, 30, 40 year journey. And for me, look, there's a lot of very interesting technologies and industries out there, but fundamentally at the end of the day, when I think about what do I wanna dedicate the rest of my life to and what do I want it to be the focus, I couldn't imagine any other industry than the aerospace industry. On top of that, coming in, from the experiences that I'd seen at Palantir, getting the privilege of working with you in the investor and EIR role at Village Global, you know, when I initially started coming into the role and looking at the space economy, it was definitely something where the problem that I had noticed at Palantir uh, was clearly still a problem in the space. But I spent a lot of time actually trying to work and meet the companies that I was hopeful that were already in existence that were solving the problem on the bus side. And through all those conversations in parallel, looked at other interesting technologies and problems, but realized over the course of uh, my time the, the, uh, over a year at Village that all of the companies that were trying to solve this problem were not solving them in the way that Max and I think it should be solved. And that really led me back to this itch of saying, okay, this pro it's the same problem, same conversations I've been having. Max has an amazing approach to actually being able to manufacture these at scale. You pair that with the software background that I have and tying everything together, there's something really special that we can unlock here at Apex. Incredible. So one of the things that you guys mentioned is how focused you are in the commercial uh, space for this. Um, how do you think about the balance of uh, government versus commercial broadly, but, but specifically when, when it comes to Apex? We want to be able to serve both customers, but we're laser focused on uh, being able to uh, serve our commercial customers uh, and cre really create a product that fits that market very well. Uh, if along the way, uh, you know, the government uh, has a need for that product and wants to buy it, we're more than happy and really excited to, to work with them on that. But fundamentally, in order to really achieve the scale and, the, and achieve the vision that we want, um, we really need to make sure that... Uh, that all of our customers in the commercial market are, are, are attended to and served as well. 
Great, guys. So tell me a little bit more. So on the short term, you just raise a seed round. You have to go out and, you know, build a team and do all of these things. On the medium term and then on the long term, how does Apex disrupt and really change this industry? Yeah, yeah. Well, here, let me jump in and, and address the medium term question. And, and then, Ian, you can talk about some of our long term vision there. In the medium term, we want to change the way uh, that uh, all of our customers go about procuring buses and designing their payloads by creating a bus platform that is highly reliable with lots of flight heritage and can be delivered in a matter of weeks, not months or years. We think that that will uh, be a shift in the industry that will uh, allow folks to start figuring out early in their design process, how do we engineer our payload and our broader constellation approach to work with a bus platform that we're offering that's very readily available, meets the performance requirements, and uh, is at a you know high reliability ranking and good, and good cost, like kind of checks all the boxes, versus how it currently is, where the payload design kind of starts. There's uh, some you know very specific requirements, and then some that are like a little bit looser, and then eventually the bus gets custom designed to match the payload. So our goal over time is to really shift the dynamic and allow people to start engineering their constellations and engineering their satellites around something that is readily available off the shelf and reliable. And longer term, we really believe that humankind is an interplanetary species. And I can't give you an exact time frame of when that will happen. Will that be in five years, 10 years, 50 years, 500 years? I don't know. But I truly do believe that one day humans will inhabit more than just Earth. We'll be on the moon and Mars. We already have people in space. There's going to be a lot more people in space. There's amazing companies that are pushing that forward. So SpaceX is uh, bringing humans to the moon, to Mars and beyond. Um, we have Axiom who's building space stations. But fundamentally, if we close our eyes for a second, and we envision that future, do we really think that all of the other spacecraft that are moving around the galaxy, the spacecraft that are circling the moon, bringing internet to the moon and Mars and beyond, the spacecraft that are imaging um, celestial bodies all around the world, do we really believe that the spacecraft that are moving goods and cargoes around the galaxy, are they all going to be built by hand like they are today? Are they all going to be custom made? I sincerely doubt it. We truly believe that if we look that far in the future, most of the spacecraft that are out there that are moving goods and cargoes and services across the universe are going to be manufactured at scale. And we are the first company that is laser focused on the actual manufacturing, not just the building and assembly of a commercial focused spacecraft. That is what we were so excited about and what we think Apex can unlock in the future. Amazing. So Ian, we're going through a significant downturn right now. Uh, this is your third company. You previously founded a company that sold to Zynga, another one in the that sold to Palantir. Um, what lessons from your, you know, previous entrepreneurship life, uh, life as an entrepreneur, have you learned that you think would be particularly helpful for you in Apex, given the macro environment that we're in right now? Lucas, I, I just can't stand the thought of the market going down. I don't open the stock app of my phone. I don't use Robinhood or stuff like that. I don't look at any of those accounts because I can't bear to think of how bad the economy is right now. All I want is for it to improve. So yes, the economy is not in the world's best place right now. But I really do believe that this is the best time in the world to build. You, you know, I, I go back and I think if Max and I had raised the uh, funding round that we had just raised six months ago or nine months ago, sure, maybe the economy would have been better and we could have raised a little bit more in a slightly different terms or whatever it may be. But fundamentally, then the downturn would have happened. And it's much more painful 
to go from a position where money is free flowing and you are not building your company from day zero and laying a foundation of being smart about spending, smart about growth, smart about what business initiatives you're actually doing. Uh, and then it turns into basically a fiscally conservative environment where you have to completely 180 and shift your entire thinking. We're, we feel very lucky to actually have had a very uh, oversubscribed and strong funding around in this economic environment where we now can lay the foundation of following the wave as the economy inevitably and eventually recovers uh, and grow into that. But the good thing about us is we have planned our entire business to be set upon success, even if the economy stays in the same uh, downward trajectory that it is currently in right now. Um, and I would say, look, uh, I'll be completely honest. Like, if I rewind back to um, Synapse or to Superlabs, the two companies before, the terms that we raised at uh, back then, and of course, it was for me, it's the first time doing it, were, were not nearly as good as terms that I'm seeing my peers and other founders going and raising at today. So, while yes, the economic environment might be tougher. I actually think there's never been a better time in the world to be a founder. I think there's more dry powder and venture funds than there ever was before. And investors should be getting a little bit picky around what they're doing. But at the end of the day, we're almost like, if you think of it as a trajectory, like all the way up until COVID 2020, uh, you know, it was getting slightly easier and easier to raise money, but it, like it wasn't easy. COVID turned everything on its head. There was like a two week period, four week period where everything died. And then money was flowing. Like all you had to do was like, trip and like sneeze and say the word startup and like people would offer you bags of money. Uh, that was not a good thing, right? That has now gone away and we're back to the trend that we were at before. And that's a very healthy trend and spot for uh, the startup economy to be in. So Ian, more broadly, how do you think that this downturn will affect, uh, affect especially companies building in aerospace and defense? So if you were a company and you raised a large amount of funding or even any amount of funding during these crazy economic times, and you didn't really have a business model or a plan, you're not going to be in a great position, right? You might have to downsize, you might have to shut down, you might have to sell your company. But fundamentally, if you're a company that's built upon the foundation of wanting to be a truly great business, you have a product that people actually want, you know, you're, you're going to be able to survive, you're going to be able to thrive. One of the questions that we often get asked is, you know, how do we see this new space economy developing? And the, the truthful answer that Max and I really do believe is like, look, there's some companies that have raised money and are part of the new space economy that are going to have a really tough time. But the companies that we would want to be our customers that are really foundational companies or companies with true differentiated technology are not going anywhere. Now, in the same vein, the macroeconomic conditions hit everyone. It's not just the young startups who might have raised some money. And the trend that we're noticing is overall, there's a lot of companies that historically have had enough cash, free cash flow, uh, enough kind of EBITDA margin, et cetera, to reinvest and say, we're going to go manufacture our spacecraft in-house, or we don't need to go outsource, or, oh, we're willing to pay top dollar. But now a lot of those companies are turning around and saying, look, economic times are getting tougher. It makes sense, actually, to find a reliable manufacturer of these spacecraft that we can outsource them to and let us focus on what we know best, which is the payload or the data they're selling, et cetera, as opposed to trying to go in-house with everything. I think this is a trend that extends far beyond just aerospace, though, right? Like, if you look at even companies like Peloton making fitness equipment, they've stopped insourcing and building that all in-house, and they've decided to outsource it. That's a trend that we think we are very well-equipped to capture here here at Apex and take advantage of all, not take advantage, but partner with all of those companies who no longer 
feel like it's the right fiduciary model to move forward going fully in-house. Awesome. And we're all in agreement here that space really matters, right? Uh, For a variety of reasons. But for you individually, why is space so important? I I mentioned this earlier, but I grew up loving the idea of space and, you know, uh, dreamt of one day uh, either building rockets or being an astronaut or something of the sort. So it's definitely been a childhood passion of mine. But I think if we go a step beyond that, I truly believe that it is the future of our society and humankind. It's natural to want to explore and expand, but I really think we're getting to the point in our world where we need to as a society in order to be able to keep uh, prospering and growing and being a you know safe, secure, and wonderful society that we are. Uh, in terms of uh, energy, in terms of rare earth uh, uh, metals or minerals, all of these things, we need to start looking beyond just earth itself and into the galaxy around us. And then eventually, as we think about the growth of our population and, you know, eventually moving beyond planet Earth, it's inevitable. Where are we going? We have to go somewhere, right? And I, I'm so excited for humanity to continue to expand beyond just Earth. For me, you know, not only is space incredibly exciting, you know, I see it as, as one of the few areas where every single engineering discipline is required to all come together as a team and really accomplish the incredible feat of actually reaching space and reaching orbit and doing these different things there. Um, And I've always been fascinated with it um, since a young age and I've always really loved and been inspired by it. However, putting that aside, um, you know, I also think that there is a certain mysterious aspect of it just because it is so, you know, far out of reach for everybody. And, uh, you know, from not just like the average person, but also to the, uh, you know, uh, to kind of commercial spaces as well. And it's always been something that, uh, you know, large government programs have enabled our exploration of it. So I, I think that it's very important for us to lower those barriers of entry and really make it accessible for us to start collecting meaningful data and being able to um, unlock very meaningful, useful applications from space. And I think that, uh, you know, while there are a lot of different economic models and business cases that they close um, and, and allow us to do things there, there's also a lot for us to discover about our world, about our galaxy, um, and about our own planet through space. Uh, and I think fundamentally that uh, you know information is going to allow us to have the you know to really make the largest positive impact overall through you know the, our lifetimes and many more moving forward. Right. So, Ian, you alluded to this. Uh, there's a ton of new space companies getting funded, right? Uh, some feel like science fiction. Some feel like they're more grounded. What overall like, is your guys' take on the new current massive influx of companies in space? We are so excited to see more and more founders entering into the space economy and wanting to solve real hard problems. One of the things I've been so excited about is the wide range of ideas that we've seen solved. So on one end of the spectrum, we see companies like Epsilon3 that are pure software solutions that are solving such mission-critical elements and enabling the furthering of other companies to do more and more in space and beyond Earth. Uh, On the radically opposite side of the spectrum, there's companies like Astroforge who are going and saying, we're using this new business case of lowered launch costs, 
and a more robust ecosystem of aerospace components to go mine asteroids for platinum. And seeing such a wide gamut of different types of companies and everything between in between that are out there gives me so much hope for the future. And even if there's new companies that are founded that unfortunately are not able to succeed or they can't succeed to the end vision that they aim for, the fact that there's so much hope out there with entrepreneurs and people who want to go build in this industry personally just makes me so incredibly happy and bullish on the future of American society. It's really exciting to see this influx of new space economies because uh, you know there are kind of, as Ian mentioned, there's a range of companies, some which are enablers and some which are chasing after a lot of sort of these moonshot ideas. And it's going to be so exciting to see um, all these folks really start to make meaningful progress and and unlock key um, sort of technological hurdles, you know, because uh, fundamentally that's only going to grow the space economy and it's going to um, inspire more people to uh, enter the uh, industry as they see what's possible. Um, And that's going to, you know, create a like uh, really uh, positive line of growth moving forward. Amazing. And what do you guys think uh, think are the biggest risks uh, to, to the space economy? Fundamentally, the biggest danger to the overall space economy is, frankly, ourselves. And if you've looked at what's happened in the space industry over the last, just take 12 months, we've had uh, thousands of additional satellites go up into space. We've had um, ASATs, which is basically, uh, you know, countries firing missiles and blowing up satellites, creating mass orbital debris. Um, We've had the ISS have to maneuver out of the way debris multiple times. We're not in a very good situation. This is all very solvable. And it's amazing that companies that are launching these satellites up are trying to be responsible and make sure we're not creating too much space debris. But eventually we could very quickly get to the point where it makes it almost impossible to operate a reliable satellite or constellation or even have humans in space due to that massive influx of debris. And that's why for us at Apex, it's very important that as we are going to be responsible for putting hundreds and eventually thousands and tens of thousands of satellites into orbit around Earth, into geo and beyond into deep space and lunar orbits, et cetera, that we're very responsible about what we're putting out into the world. So part of our plan here is uh, going alongside the new regulation around five years after operations needing to deorbit making that part of the status quo of any satellite bus that we sell. We want to make sure there are capabilities to meet those requirements, deorbit, and uh, honestly, create a longer uh, lifespan before space debris really does become a problem. And I don't think it's a problem that will ever go away. It's something that needs to be constantly mitigated. But if we let that get out of hand, if we're selfish and we're greedy about how we're treating the environment around us, we could be in a really tough position that ends up hurting all of us later. Something I also see as a big risk to the space economy is ensuring that we continue to attract the best possible talent to go into this industry. There are so many talented engineers out there who are graduating and go into other industries, which while they are, you know, all of those are fantastic industries and, and there's a lot of you know great things to be done there. Um, you know, space is fundamentally very hard. Um, and the uh, sort of project timelines uh, have historically been a lot longer than that of other industries, um, and making sure that we, you know, can can continue to um, find folks who are mission driven um, and find folks who, you know, can become inspired by the work that there is still to do in space is going to be very important um, to bring them into the economy 
to design payloads that could eventually use our buses to go work on the launch vehicle side to work on the you know um, scientific um, and research side of things as well uh, i think just bringing you know again amazing people together um, is going to be the most important aspect to help keep growing the industry amazing well, guys, uh, this has been a really incredible conversation. Uh, for folks that want to get in touch with you and maybe even work at Apex, uh, what's the best way to get in touch? Come to our website, which is apexspace.com. I'm sure it'll be in the show notes somewhere. Uh, we are actively hiring. We have a variety of roles, uh, mostly on the engineering side, uh, some on the BD side as well. And uh, of course, we have the uh, every startup's favorite choose your own adventure role. So if there's something that you think we need and we're not noticing it, please reach out. We'd love to be able to work with you and really help um, uh, beginning to manufacture spacecraft. Awesome. Well, this has been great. Thanks, Lucas. We'll talk um, soon. Yeah.